Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano. Thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. I'm glad you're back. This is the podcast, of course, where we talk about building a better kind of online business. I say of course because I know many of you have been longtime listeners. For those of you who are new, welcome. I'm sure it won't be long before you see the value in building the kind of online business that's designed to reduce the amount of stress that you experience on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. And that would include doing some things like making sure you simplify what it is that you're doing, making sure that you're doing the right thing, and giving you some strategies or ways to think about how you can plan better strategies for yourself and whatever it is that you're trying to build. Now, I have to say that a lot of the things that I've done myself personally have been the result of trial and error. I've made all kinds of mistakes, and sometimes I think knowing what not to do is just as important as knowing what to do, because if you have a reason for failure, then you can avoid, to the best of your ability anyway, uh, failing the next time. Also, a lot of the things that I've learned in my own business journey, I've absorbed from the people around me, people who were more successful than I was at the time, people who were older, people who were wiser, And today, I've learned that you can basically learn from almost anyone when it comes to life in general. If you're older, you can learn from a young person. If you're younger, of course, you can learn from older people. If you're educated, you can learn things from people who do not have formal education. Sometimes some of the most profound things you'll learn If you you happen to be a doctor or a lawyer or someone like that, when you think about it, you learn from people maybe that weren't formally educated, but had a little bit of wisdom behind them. If you think about maybe a grandparent or someone who was from a different generation than you're from and had different experiences throughout their lives. I say all this because today I want to talk a little bit about the topic of sales, And I remember when I started my journey, I was very shy, and it took a lot for me to really get out there. Now, I look at sales and marketing as two different things. I know sometimes we combine them together because they're very close as far as what the end purpose and goal is. One one step leads to another. So if you want to get from here to there, in business, you have to employ marketing and sales. I look at marketing as the vehicle. It's the thing we put our message in, our products, our services to get them out and in front of people. But sales is the ability to close the deal. Sales is the ability to get people to actually step out and move forward with some kind of financial transaction. And so that's why I see them as two different things, because you can be a really good marketer, but a poor salesperson. And so you get your message out there in front of thousands of people, but... If you're weak when it comes to the sales process, then you're closing much fewer uh, people than you should be closing. I throw all that out there because these are topics that I was once really, um, how should we say, I put a lot of time and energy into learning how these things work. And I've been working them for years now. And now I'm at the point where when I look back at some of these topics, I think to myself, 
wow, I wasted so much time in the, on the formal education side of things. And I don't say that to down people that are into formal education. I think it's good up to a point. But there's often a disconnect when you look at something in a classroom type of setting, in a book setting, and then you actually go out there and experience it. So, for example, when it came to relationships, I didn't have brothers or sisters. And it would have helped to have an older brother or an older sister to give me some insights into some of the things I had to discover from trial and error. Now, you could make a, a case for the point that if you learn from trial and error, you learn it in a deeper way. But believe me, there are certain things you definitely do not want to learn from personal experience. Certain things can really mess you up having to learn them from personal experience. So it's much easier to read about certain things and come to the conclusion, yeah, I definitely don't want to do that. Or, oh, I never really thought about that kind of situation. And, you know, sometimes you only see two steps ahead. You read somebody else's experience, which takes you five steps ahead, and you think, well, I never even considered that that kind of outcome would be possible. But now that I have more information, you can connect the dots. And then when you actually are out there in real life, you remember those words, you remember those warnings, admonitions, and you think, okay, this situation is kind of looking what like so-and-so described. I think I'd better stay away from that. But if we're going into the topic of sales, one of the first things that I noticed is long before we had the term clickbait, a lot of titles really overpromised and underdelivered when it came to anything in the area of sales and marketing. For example, right now I have a book in front of me which I bought back in the 1990s. Every once in a while back in the day, I would drive to my local bookstore and I would look for something to read. I would get a coffee and I was more of a reader back then. And there was a book entitled Get Anyone to Do Anything. And I thought, wow, what a strong title that is. It was written by someone with a PhD and I picked it up and it said sensational New York Times bestseller. And I thought, wow, this is this is something. Let me actually let me see. When is the copyright of this book? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't the 90s. It was 2000. Yeah, I was still going to bookstores in 2000. OK, so uh, it was one of those books where I said, well, I, you know, I got to buy this and see what the guy has to say. Now, I wasn't expecting that when I finished reading the book that I was going to get anyone to do anything. At least I was old enough, mentally speaking, to know that, all right, that's kind of manipulative. Well, it is manipulative. Get anyone to do anything. But I decided to go ahead and read read the book. And as I went from chapter to chapter, there was some good advice in there. The book was written by somebody, I believe he was a psychologist, still is. But um, I thought... Okay, this is an example. Every chapter had a promise. And as I was going through the delivery of the solution that was promised at the, with the chapter heading, I was a little bit disappointed. Now, there were some little golden nuggets in there that made me think, oh, that's a good idea. One of them was how to tell somebody's lying. <laughs> but, and, and if you want to read the book, it's still out there. I think it's like 16 bucks now for the paperback. You might as well get the Kindle. I think it's like a few dollars cheaper. But if we're talking about something like sales, well, before I really get into this, let me just put this on pause for a moment just to say a few quick things, a quick intermission. Today's episode is sponsored by the Digital Strategist Newsletter and the One-to-Many System. The Digital Strategist Newsletter, that's my monthly newsletter. 
I release it at the end of every month, usually on the 23rd or the 24th. It's free. It's designed to give you some insights into how you can think through your own marketing strategies and options. I give some suggestions, of course, in there as well. Head over to jimsnewsletter.com to sign up for that. Back issues are available there also. And the one-to-many system is my big course. This program gives you a complete scalable marketing strategy and system. If you have the right product, if you have the right service, this will package everything up really nicely for you with a website, with content creation pieces, so you can finally put all of the pieces together. I call it the culmination of my entire experience doing business online. So, okay, now back to what I was saying. If we go, let's look at the mechanics of this. So if we were going to write a blog post about, let's say, how to sell anything to anyone, one of the first things we would do, one of the first points that we would bring out is you need to identify your target market. You understand what you need to understand what motivates people because then you're going to be better equipped to tailor your specific approach to their needs, to their desires. So take time to do the research and get to know who your ideal customer is. Point two would be to do the research, get, gain the insights into demographics, interests, pain points, because the more you know about them, the better you can serve them. And so if we just take those two points for what they are on paper, that makes sense. Matter of fact, if you're going to do anything, you have to identify a target market first. But if you've never done this successfully before, then the way you approach it is probably completely different than somebody who has already experienced this in the real world. So for example, if we go to, um, let's say, Google Trends, and we see we type in our keywords and we see how popular certain things are, or we go to Facebook groups and we see what people are talking about, or maybe we head over to Amazon and we see what the best sellers are, or you know we do some type of data type of research, well, that doesn't really give us the kind of picture that sometimes people uh, believe they'll get. It really doesn't show certain things because you're in a place of research. You're not at actually out there in the field doing it. Matter of fact, if you had two options <clears throat> and you can only do one, excuse me, if you could only look at data and people love data, I think that's the reason why so many software products are data focused today because people believe information is power, but that's just half of the equation. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's like saying, well, I have power because I have a bunch of seeds in my hand. But if you don't plant and water the seeds, then you're never going to get a return on what's what you're holding in your hand. So data is kind of like holding the seed in your hand, but you haven't planted it yet. Whereas if you actually go out there in the real world, let's say you can't have any data, no access to Google, no access to online studies or surveys or anything like that. All you have is the real world. You have to actually go out there and do the legwork. Well, that's how I learned. And what I learned is there are certain things that you can get by doing that that you're not going to get by just sitting behind a, a monitor or a screen. And the best salespeople in the world today usually are a little bit older and they come from a background where they recognize that. And the young ones who do this successfully, talking about people in their 20s, are people that learned from the older crowd about how to deal with people face-to-face -face and one-on-one. -on -one. 
So for example, if we looked at data, we could look back at, let's say your graduating class. What year did you graduate high school? And we could say, well, what movies were popular at the time? Oh, you were probably influenced by this movie and this movie. Those were some of the biggest hits of that time. What was the popular bands and music at the time? And you would look at that and you would think, oh, okay, those uh, those are the popular songs, those are the popular bands, and we can just go on and on. What were the popular styles at the time? And we could get a snapshot of what you look like based on that period that you grew up in and doing all of the things that people would suggest that you do to identify your target market. So, uh, and we could also look at your age. What's your age now? What kind of experiences did that generation go through? We get a picture, we could probably feel pretty good about the picture that we're getting. Okay, keep that in the back of your mind. Now imagine this, you step into a time machine and you actually go back to the year you graduated from high school. Right? You go back, you're, you're in disguise, let's say. Go back in a time machine, you avoid meeting your old self. Now, you walk through the halls. What type of information are you going to get meeting those kids, meeting your contemporaries at that time that you would never get just by the study that we did? Well, you're going to get all kinds of information because when you get right down to it, there were the people were so different on a personal level that just grouping them all in because this was the era they grew up in, this was the town they grew up in, this was the music that was popular at the time, right? You had some people that were geeks, and even with the geeks, there were different interests within that those groups. You had the uh, athletes, the jocks, as we used to call them, and even within that group, the personalities of the people were much different. You had, and you can go into each group, and then you realize that, wow, people are really different. But when it comes to certain needs and wants, we would possibly be able to group people different. For example, we may take like the, uh, the homecoming queen or one of the homecoming queen nom nominees, and she has an interest that puts her basically in the same group with one of the geeks, but they never really matched on a social level because that social level kind of drove a wedge between them, right? So there were different groups, and, and if you remember in your high school days, that it was kind of like a little social hierarchy there. And if you think about which people you really connect it with, think about your best friends during that time when you graduated. And think about the people maybe that you became close with or became friends after high school that you never would have been able to become friends with during that time because of other situations that were involved in the mix. And so what I'm trying to say here is it's just too easy to miss things when you're putting general labels on people. When you think about the people who became your best friends, when you be think about the people that even you dated or possibly even married, you'll recognize that there were certain things that both of you saw in one another that made that friendship possible, that made that relationship possible. There was a level of honesty shared between the two of you that you didn't actually share between everybody else. And so maybe you had a, an inner circle and there were a handful of people there. Maybe there was only one person there. And then if we create another ring around that, maybe there was another circle and some people occupy that until we go all the way out in these circles where we have just acquaintances.
And so this concept of identifying a target market, I think, has more fluff than anything else when it comes to how we actually learn this topic. Now, one of the reasons why I say that is because I tried in the earlier years of my business to identify what a lot of people try to do, my target market. I thought, well, maybe dentists, maybe those are the people that I should focus on selling my internet marketing and website development service services to, or maybe restaurants, or maybe, maybe, maybe. And before you knew it, I wasn't able to break into any of these groups. And what I learned was all the dentists seem to be different as individuals, as personalities. Yeah, they all practice the same skill, but as people, they were all different. You see what I'm getting at? Maybe the same thing with the restaurant business. Not all restaurant owners are the same personality. They're all different. And so what I learned is over the course of the first decade of my business, the people who were attracted to me and I to them as far as working in business together is that they had certain personality traits and I had certain personality traits that connected or harmonized well, right? So if you think about how music is played, music that is appealing to the ear, no matter what type of taste you have, has a certain harmony to it. Even if you find like a certain harmony is to be over the top bad, it, you can't, that is still existent in that, right? It has that certain harmony. In your relationships, you'll probably find that there's a certain harmony that you have between other individuals that you don't have with anybody else. That's why you're closer to them. That's why you're more relaxed around them. And so I applied this not on purpose, not logically thinking it through like I am now. I'm thinking it through now just to do my best to explain it to you. I'm doing the best that I can with what I have on this particular recording. But what I did was I learned that if I could find these individuals, and I began to kind of make a, a composite sketch of them. Some people call this a customer avatar. Some people call this the ideal customer. But what I learned is my ideal customer doesn't fit into an age group. They could be young. They could be old. They could be in the middle. My ideal customer doesn't fit into a certain country even. They could be American. They could be the UK. They could be Australia. They could be... Uh, the Middle East, they could be anywhere. <laughs> and that connection, will they could be Asia. It's the personality in there. There are certain personality things that I connect to, that connect with me. And I'm not going to go into what these are, what I believe they are, and why I think it works so well for me, because I'm saying all of this for your sake. I'm saying that if what you're doing isn't working for you, I'm going to give you an alternative way of looking at it. So if it's not working for you, focusing on a specific kind of niche and labeling it by, let's say, I want to sell to dentists, or I want to sell to women in their 50s, or I want to sell to uh, college graduates who make X amount of money per year. All of those things may make sense on paper, but the heart of what's connecting you to your audience may be something completely different. And so... The only way I discovered this was by trial and error, going out there and talking to people and realizing that if I looked at all of the people who were my clients for 10, 15, even 20 years, I have clients that have been with me that long, then I can say that what do they all have in common? 
Well, it's not that they're all men. It's not that they're all women. I leave that out. It's not that they're all a certain age group. I'll leave that out. Number one is they were all basically self-starters. They all have a certain, none of them are what you call risk adverse. They all have an attraction to contrarian ways of thinking. And so the way I approach things is maybe with a different type of contrarian type of uh, mindset. And so those are just a few of the things. I'm throwing those out there for your sake. Maybe there are certain things that when you really think about the people that you enjoy working for. And let me tell you something. Who you work with, who you work for, has more to do with the quality of your life than you probably realize. I mean, a lot of times we just think, oh, I'm not making enough money. So this is the wrong product, the wrong service. And all of those things definitely have merit. But even if you're making enough money, if you're getting paid by the wrong people, what I mean is that people that just agitate you, people that just put you on edge and make you nervous and get you worried and create stress in your life, none of that is worth it at the end of the day. And I understand biting the bullet and doing what you have to do until you can do something better. I also believe in that. But I also believe in recognizing these things that are bad for you over the long term and making some plans to get around them. So... If you're in B to C, you can really dive in deep with this. But if you're in, let's say, uh, B to B, I'm going to simplify this for you. Now, if we go by, again, the standard way this topic is taught, we would go through the different points. Identify your target market. Identify their pain points and interest. Point three would be connect with the buyer personally. I would put that as point one. Now, I didn't create these points. I just went out there, and if you look this topic up on how to sell like anything to anyone or something like that, you'll come up with the this, this same basic points. It's like how to market successfully. You look that up, you'll come up with the same basic points. Point three might be connect with the buyer personally because if you build a personal connection with someone, that's really the foundation of successful selling. Most sales courses will tell you that. You have to meet people. You have to understand them. And people want to buy from someone they feel understands them, generally cares about their satisfaction, takes the time to build a rapport and to establish trust, all of those things. I put that to number one because that was the way I was able to experiment practically with who was a good fit for me and who wasn't. Now, what's going to happen over time is you're going to internalize this kind of information. It's not going to be like a step one, step two, step three, and then you suddenly freeze and think, oh, did I do step two properly? No, it's not going to be like that at all. What's going to happen is organically, the more conversations you have with people, the more interest you show in them, you begin to learn what's truly important to the people you're doing business with, and it's much easier to get on the same page with them. And over time, you can make adjustments as the months and years go by if necessary. And usually it is going to be necessary because the market's going to change from time to time. Today it changes faster than ever before. But let's back up for a second and let me fill in a few blanks here as far as sales go. If you know your product or service, which you should, and you truly believe in it, if you don't believe in it, and you're just starting out, then maybe you need a little bit of experience and some feedback, you make it better. If you've been doing it a while, then I'm sure you already realize there's always ways that you can improve it. But if you believe in it as it is right now, if you know it can bring results, if you know it can get, it can get the job done, 
then asking someone you're connecting with to buy it comes so much easier. Now, if it's a matter of price, I always like to present three options, or at the very least, two, whenever possible. From a psychological standpoint, it makes it much easier for you too because you already know going in that you have three opportunities to make a sale instead of just one. I'm talking about low, medium, and high pricing. If you have a small, medium, and large solution or versions of a solution or service or product that you're selling, you move from one opportunity to make the sale to having three. Now, choice also, giving your person on the other side of the equation, giving them choice puts control back into their hands and they feel much better too about making a buying decision. Now, what if what you do is so customized that you say, Jim, there's no way I can create a small, medium, and large version of this. If you're selling a service or something like that, simply advertise it as starting at and then create a base number. Now, I have several websites basically selling the same thing. Some use the small, medium, and large packaging. Other ones are directed towards more of a high-end type of client. It will say services starting at. And this gives you flexibility going forward because if people look at the base price and they say, well, I can't afford that, then the conversation ends right there. They move on, you move on, no harm, no foul, as the saying goes. But if a person can afford that base amount and you've made it high enough where you're not cheating yourself, which is something a lot of people do. I completely understand that. I've done that myself. I price something too low. Sometimes a little bit of something is a whole lot better than a whole lot of nothing, if you know what I'm saying. But you can't build a business going forward always by lowballing your prices. You can't get ahead. It's just not possible. So I understand if you're trying to get people in the door, you just have to understand that going forward, you have to, it has to be profitable to everyone, what you're doing. It has to be profitable to the person making the buying decision, and it has to be profitable for you from a, a standpoint of being an owner of a business. In the business-to-business world, the B2B, I've learned to cut right to the chase when it comes to some higher-end services. In the beginning, like most people, I didn't know if people were going to bite or not. I didn't know if they were going to say yes or raise their hand and say, count me in. I didn't know that until I tried it. I didn't know if the prices were going to be too high until I made them too high. And that's how I learn from experience. Now, it does help if you know what generally the market price is. You can go online, find the low end, the high end, and the medium price for just about any kind of service in any part of the world. A lot of people do that before they make a buying decision, actually. But today, I design all of my higher end services to impact my client's bottom line. And I let them know right up front, this is what I want to focus on. Most of my competitors focus on like a half a dozen other things that hopefully eventually will lead to that, the bottom line. But they focus on, and I don't want to get into details. Maybe you're doing some of the things that, I, that I'm going to say here. And you know, I don't want to talk down about how anyone does anything. I'm telling you what works for me. What works for me is cutting right to the chase and say, look, I know you've probably talked to probably like a half a dozen other people. They've probably set you up for a long-term contract. Honestly, a lot of people do that because they know you're probably not going to be happy three months from now, six months from now, and that's just how they operate. I don't do that. I don't offer any long-term contracts. All I ask you is that please give me 30 days notice. I think that's honest. That's fair. They agree to that. And then I tell them that 
I'm guessing that you're buying this kind of service because you want to increase your bottom line. Well, everything I focus on is on doing exactly that, which is why I do things differently from most of my competitors. Most of my competitors will come to you and they'll basically tell you, and I'll say what most of my competitors are doing. I said, that may sound fine on the surface. Here's why it doesn't work. Here's what I'm going to do, and here's why I believe it will work. It's sort of a contrarian approach to this, but I don't do what most people are doing because I find that if you do that, you're just going to get subpar average at best results. And the people just, they take all that in because that's the reality of the world we're living in. Don't tell me that I don't care what niche you're in. There's a whole bunch of BS garbage stuff, fluff, just on there, piled up. You can either get a person result or you can't. If you can't get the result or you're not sure or you're not confident, ask yourself why and what you can improve to get there. Because when you actually believe in what you're selling and you don't have to like be an actor, the genuineness of it comes across so much that you even explaining or expounding upon what it is you do and why you do it, that usually alone is enough to convert someone from a tire kicker to a buyer. But you have to be genuine. I look at it like this. The old principle is true. You reap what you sow. And so if you're out there to cheat people, it's gonna. you may prosper in the short term on the front end, make a bunch of money. It's going to come back and get you on the back end. And it's going to come back doubly so. But if you put the effort out there to make it happen... And I have to tell you that I really can relate to the professional athlete, professional trainer type of situation because imagine this. I think I've used this illustration before. You're a boxing trainer and a young Mike Tyson walks into your gym or young Muhammad Ali and you know it. Right there you know that you don't even have to be the best trainer in the world, but you're going to be able to get results. You're going to be able to guide that person. Yeah, you'll learn too. You'll become better at what you do. But if I'm going to use the old punch out game from the 80s, Glass Joe, probably only the guys can relate to this, but he was that little skinny boxer. As soon as you hit him on the chin, he like wobbled all over the ring. Okay, but if somebody with no talent, right, if you're not familiar with, with the old punch out game, somebody with no talent comes to you and wants help, then, well, if they're going to do what they're going to do for a hobby, but let's face it, let's say you're a talented artist and designer, but if someone comes to you with zero eye for color, zero eye for positive and negative space, you know what I'm talking about? Their mind doesn't work that way. They're more of an analytical type person than a creative person then you're probably not going to be able to turn them into a superstar. Maybe they become like a hobbyist type of creative person, and that's fine. It takes all kinds. I guess what I'm saying is that you want to make sure that you can actually accomplish what it is that you say you're going to accomplish. And that may mean that, for example, from a marketing standpoint, if there are certain people that I can't help, then I don't want to convince them that I can help them when in fact I can't. They have a subpar product or service, and sometimes we don't know that on the front end. And so you have to be honest. You have to get feedback, and it's a process. Other times, the person's a star. The business has all of the elements it needs to succeed in place. And getting results is just a matter of putting in the time and doing the work. All right, I think this is a good place to put the bookmarker in it. That's about all for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you believe it will help a friend, please go ahead and share this episode link with them. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, or wherever else you may happen to be. Or send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast. Back episodes can be found there as well. 
That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you later. 